Hey guys, welcome to the Pro Writer Mindset Podcast. I am your host, Jennifer Blanchard. I have a super special guest with me today. Her name is Devlin Blake, and she believes that craft matters and that great stories need structure and rhythm. Learning structure early in her publishing career changed everything for her, and now she coaches emerging suspense and horror writers on everything from craft to pacing to doing away with writer's guilt. And you can find her at devlinblake.com. So welcome, Devlin. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I'm really excited to talk to you because we have a very similar similar journey. So I would love for you to just tell everybody um, how you sort of got into the whole structure thing. So you sort of had a similar experience to me with writing several drafts before you got to your first book. So I would love to hear a little bit about that. Okay. Well, my first book, you know, I just sat down and pantsed it the whole way. You know, I had a vague idea. And I did my character studies first, but not I didn't know enough about them to do them very well. And that proved problematic in the book because when I got to the end of the book and gave it to the beta readers, the beta readers said that the plot was boring and the characters were wimps. And it's like, ouch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then I went back and I tightened up the plot and had to redo the characters. And I got a slightly better book, but not a much better book. And eventually... After writing and writing, I figured out there had to be another way to do this because I had a full-time job and a life, and I still wanted to write books. I didn't want to give up one of those things, and so I decided that I really would have to dig in and learn about structure and craft and characters. So I dug in and learned about all that, and finally, five drafts later, I got a decent book out of it. Amazing. Yeah, that that story is so similar to my experience with my first one, too, where I wrote it three times and then just threw it away, basically, because it just wasn't working. So um, structure changed my life as much as it's changed yours, it sounds like. So uh, it's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Yeah, between the first book and the last book, the only thing that was really the same was the time period and the characters' names. It's like it didn't resemble the first book at all, that last book. Which is probably a good thing, because that means you actually Absolutely. made progress. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you've actually, I mean, you've written tons of books. I, when I was looking at your, your catalog on Amazon, it's pretty pretty extensive, and I know you've also done some ghostwriting. So um, how is it that you're able to get all these books done and hold down a full-time job and still have a life on top of all that? I mean, that's amazing to me. Thank you. Well, one of my secrets, of course, is learning how to plot, you know, both my characters and my stories, because once you learn that, you don't have to worry about writer's block, and when you sit down, you're actually productive, and it doesn't matter if it's 15 minutes or an hour or all day, you can still be productive, and if you use talk-to-text software, then you can be very productive. So talk-to-text, that's like dictation software, basically. Absolutely. There's two main kinds on the market right now. I'm sure there are other kinds, but I've only used two. Um, first one is Dragon. That was the first dictation software. It came out in the, I want to say, 90s and come a long way since then because now it can follow accents. And what's really cool about Dragon is that you can customize it with your own words, which is good if you're writing a fantasy or a very technically advanced book because you can teach it words. You basically spell out the words in type, and then Dragon asks you to pronounce the word, and then it matches up that word with your speech, and then it types that word when you say the, the phonetical word. 
Wow. That is amazing. The great thing about Dragon, you know, well, I just told you the great thing about Dragon, but the bad thing about Dragon is you have to spend a lot of time training it. It's not ready to go right out of the box. The other software I've used for talk-to-text is this one that comes built into Microsoft programs on modern computers. That one is actually ready to go right out of the box, but unlike Dragon, it doesn't have much of a tolerance for accents, and you can't really teach it new words. It comes with the words it comes with, and those are your words. So you've actually been known to write up to 10,000 words a day using this process. So how how do you get into it? So do you sort of just start talking, or do you sort of have like a, a plan that you're following besides like a roadmap? Do you sort of like structure out your scenes, or do you have like an idea of what needs to happen? I do structure out my scenes because I do have my overall plot, which just shows like the basics. And then I have a structure out my scene section, which is not really an outline, but you know how they always tell writers to show and not tell? For a, right. a first draft, I recommend the opposite. I recommend tell and not show. It's just like tell everything you're going to happen in the scene. Don't worry about trying to say it right. Just say things like, well, this guy walks over to the desk and picks up the book and finds out the horrible secret about his grandfather, and, you know, you just tell the story in that method. And then once you have that structure down and you know what's going to happen in the scene, you can actually take your talk-to-text software and then show the story you just told. Hmm, that's a really cool, I like that. So just tell and not show in your first draft. Absolutely, because once you know what's going to happen in your first draft, then it frees you up to be creative and come up with all the metaphors and the subtext and the great dialogue. But for my first draft, I don't even bother trying to write dialogue. It's just, you know, he said something like such and such, and then I go back and fill in the blanks. So for you, it sounds like revision is really when the story comes to life more as far as, like, the characterization and the description and the dialogue and all of that. Well, I wouldn't even call it revision, to be honest, because my longest outline was 10,000 words, which some people will tell you is the size of a short story. And But the book wound up being 70,000 words. So I don't even really call that revision. I just really call that a really long outline. Huh. Interesting. So when you are writing your books, let's say, how, how does it work? Because I know, like, you're probably – as you speak, and I don't maybe this is from my experience with using this type of software, I tend to speak sometimes a little bit clunky when I'm trying to, like, get an idea out or a story out. So how do you sort of deal with when you've got, let's, let's say, a clump of words that you've done from the talk-to-text? Like, now do you just go back through it and, like, edit it and, like, make sure it flows and all that, or do you hire someone to do that for you? No, I make sure and do it myself because the thing is sometimes Dragon will, and Microsoft does it too, just sticks in a word that it thinks sounds right, but it's like it's the word that makes absolutely no sense in your story. And if you give that to an editor, they look at it and they go, I have no idea what this word is supposed to be. Because it's not just a question of the software mixing up like the three theirs. Sometimes it gives you just bizarre words. That's where training it comes in handy because you really have to train it. Like with Dragon, for example... Microsoft only gives you a paragraph to read to it, but Dragon gives you like a whole book. It gives you like a script to read. Many, many scripts and business letters 
and speeches and chapters of books and all kinds of things. And by the time you're done reading the dragon, it knows what you're saying. You really got to train a dragon. Awesome. Yeah, that, I, I think that's a, it's pretty cool that you can do that, especially I like the idea you're saying for fantasy, like being able to program it with the words so you're not having to keep fixing it every time. Absolutely. And I actually learned that trick from a friend of mine who was a medical transcriptionist because she used Dragon for her medical transcription, but then, of course, she'd go back and edit what the Dragon did because it's very sensitive. But Dragon actually makes a separate one for medical jargon. But she says if you knew how to train your dragon right, and she taught me how to train it right, then you don't even need to buy the special medical one because you just teach it all these words. Wow. That is really cool. Um, so yep. you've, I think you've you said to me before that you published four books in one year, and uh, novels, and, and you've probably done some nonfiction books on top of that too, which is, you know, amazing. How do you balance that? Because I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast still have day jobs. Um, you know, writing isn't a full-time thing for them. So how do you balance doing that much writing with, and I know, like, the software probably helps, but as far as, like, your time, like, how much time do you need to spend every day sort of working on these books in order to, to get them out in that sort of a, a frequency? Well, I usually um, spend like an hour to two hours a day working on them, but here's the thing. Working on them also includes plotting them out. Like the 10,000-word outline I mentioned, that was for a book that just came out called Touch. And I actually wrote Touch in a month, and it's about 75,000 words. But the outline itself took about a month. So really it took about two months. But the outline took a month, and the actual writing of it took a month. So then I guess it's... And then, just, of course, there's revisions. They I don't include those in the months because the revisions just take forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as far as that goes, like, do you just, do you use a similar process, like, timing-wise? Do you try to just work on it every day or is there something... I do work on it every day. And yep, I do work on it every day and especially with scenes when I'm in the plotting stage and the planning out stage, I don't necessarily work on the scenes in order. A lot of writers try to work on them in order. And when I write the actual book, I do it in order. But when I'm actually plotting it out, I don't write them in order. I just keep on writing down scene after scene after scene and telling it. And they all get their own piece of paper where they all get their own little index card, depending on what I'm writing on. And then I see later how it fits. And then sometimes you have to completely cut out a scene. And sometimes you have to rewrite a scene because now you want to keep these two scenes. And this one just doesn't make sense anymore. Gotcha. So I guess the the thing that would sort of come into me for this is is the idea of habits. So you've clearly got some really good writing habits down where you're able to be productive, you're able to get writing done every day. So how, like what habits do you have around all of that? Like do you sort of have like a time that you write every day or is it a certain word count or um, is it just the drive of like I love writing and I love telling stories that I have to sort of find a way to sit down every day and do this? Well, I love writing, and I do love telling stories, and the truth is, that's fun for me. It's like I know some people go home and play video games or watch TV, but the truth is, I don't. I just sit there and write because that's fun for me. And the other thing is, I don't believe in word counts. I know a lot of people do, especially with Naramo month almost being over. And a lot of people believe in word counts, and I don't, because I feel like an hour of writing is still worthwhile, or even 15 minutes of writing is still worthwhile, 
And it doesn't really matter if you hit 10,000 words or if you hit 200 words. It's like writing is writing. And if you get all caught up in word counts, you forget about the story. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I never worry about word counts, especially first draft. Like my first drafts are usually way shorter than they will be when I'm finished. But I sort of just get the bones down and that's it. And then layer in on top of that and that's sort of when the actual words come in. Exactly. And the other thing I really annoys me, well, not really annoys me, but it's like really bothers me is when people talk about, you know, they have to reach this word count because their story is going to be this word count. And I feel like a story is as long as it is. It could be 10,000 words. It could be 3,000 words. It could be 300,000 words. But a story is as long as it is. I don't believe in trying to artificially fluff it up or shorten it to meet a certain word count. Yes, you are a woman after my own heart on that one because uh, that that's exactly what I always say. And I always especially say that about nonfiction because I feel like people always think that, like, nonfiction books have to be super long and they have to be hundreds of pages. And it's like, no, sometimes it's just a really simple book that's, like, 40 pages. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a million pages to be really valuable, useful book for somebody. And that's true. And even, you know, nonfiction, some of my best books, you know, the best books I've ever read are really short books, but they're really focused books. So they were, they left me happy. And even in fiction, some of my favorite stories are considered short stories because they're under 10,000 words, but I still loved them. Yeah, yeah, and the word count didn't matter. Oh, it was too short, you know, like, yeah, the book is still really good. Exactly. Like, why fluff it up with a bunch of words that don't need to be there? And another thing I did just want to mention is that with Amazon in the uh, Kindle program now and with eBooks in general, the word count doesn't really matter as much because Amazon doesn't tell you how many words is in the book. It tells you an approximate number of pages that it's guessing, and that really doesn't mean anything. So people buy a book and Amazon tells you, you know, you're on 1% or you're on 20% of the book. And you'd figure out by that how much more of the book you have left. But you really have no idea how many words are in this book. You just know how much of the book you have left. And I think that's very liberating to authors because it means you don't have to try to write for an artificially inflated or deflated word count. Because if a reader likes your book, he's going to read it to the end. And it doesn't really matter because he doesn't know how long your book is. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good point. Is like they're if they get to the end... They're not going to care, oh, it was only 10,000 words. Like, they obviously liked it. They made it to the end. Exactly. So the thing I really wanted to ask you about, too, is mindset. Obviously, this is a mindset podcast, so I don't want to, you know, not bring that part in, especially because I feel like in your case, you've got some seriously good confidence, I think, to have written this many books, to have the discipline to finish this many books, and to really put them out there. So I think a lot of writers get stuck or, like, in their head, you know, they get they lose their confidence or they're afraid it's not good enough. So how do you deal with, you know, those feelings coming up or those sorts of, of things that try to get in the way of you hitting publish and getting your next book out there? Well, I actually did hit publish prematurely on the first book. That was about three drafts in, but I didn't know enough about it yet to realize the book was bad. And then I got bad reviews and I realized the book was really bad, so I pulled it. And... Ever since then, I dedicated myself to learning craft and suspense, and I pay attention to beta readers that I trust. I just don't go out there and say, hey, stranger, can you beta read this for me? 
I find a few beta readers that I trust, and I show them the book. And these are the type of beta readers who will read it and go, oh, well, this part didn't make sense, or I didn't like this part, or what the heck were you thinking here, or, you know, things of that nature, because I don't want a beta reader that just tells me my book is great. It's like my mom can tell me my book is great, which is why I don't want her to read my book in beta right. form. <laughs> oh, so it's important good. to find beta So it's important to find beta readers that you can trust to tell you the truth. And I would recommend not going for, with friends for this. I would recommend professional beta readers because they know what to look for as opposed to your friends who might go, well, something just felt off about it. It's like, well, that's good to know, but it's not really good feedback. So beta readers that understand craft and understand how story works. Absolutely. Those are vital to have. And I pay my beta readers because I believe in paying my beta readers because if you want good ones, you have to pay them something. <laughs> yeah, and I agree with that. I think especially if they are people who do understand craft and all of that, they're sort of coming in almost not as an editor, but sort of with that knowledge of this is the content and, you know, this is how it needs to be structure-wise and all of that. Because otherwise, if you get beta readers who don't understand that, it definitely makes it harder for them to give you feedback that you can use to actually improve your story. Absolutely. Very awesome. So that was all the questions that I had. One last one that's just sort of my favorite one to ask as a last one, which is what is the best piece or your favorite piece of writing advice that you love to give to people? Well, I would love to tell people to, you know, really learn how stories work, the structure, the plotting, and the characters because they all work together. Because in today's day and age, it's super easy to publish a book, but it's still just as hard as ever to write one. And writing one is really what's going to take you further than just publishing one, because if you publish a bad book, then people are not going to read your next book. Yeah, so true. So, so, so true. All right, well, tell us where we can find you online, what you have going on right now, and uh, what else we can get from you right now. Okay. Well, I have a website, devlinblake.com. I also have a Facebook group. You can find it at devlinblake.com slash Facebook. It's a group online just for horror and suspense writers. My new fiction book, Touch, has just hit the market. It was out in time for Thanksgiving. And I've got a free offer for any horror and suspense writers out there. And I'm going to give you an easy way to plot a novel. You can find that on my website, too, at devlinblake.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Devlin. I, I think it's amazing that you've gotten so much work out there, and it's 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 incredible, and it's a really good, um, I think, testament to what's possible when you have that pro writer mindset and you really treat this like a career versus just writing like a hobby. So totally amazing. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. All right, guys, if you like this episode, be sure to share it and subscribe on Stitcher or iTunes, and I will catch you next time.